It's the Paddlewoo Podcast. Dedicated to high-performance stand-up paddle surfing. Our mission is to debrief the visionaries, innovators, and athletes leading the charge to define paddle-enhanced surfing. And here's your host, Eric Antonsen. Hey there, sup, surfing fanatics. Thank you for checking out the show. This is your host, Eric Antonsen. Very excited to be coming at you today with an incredible guest, Pat Rawson, shaper of Mo Freitas' surfboards with Focus Sup, legendary Hawaiian shaper. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Zone Sup. Blue Zone Sup is an all-inclusive stand-up paddle camp located in the Blue Zone of Costa Rica. I am one of the owners of the camp, and it is about the most fun thing I get to do. About six or seven weeks a year, we have a group of guys that come down, and we just dedicate the whole week to stand-up paddle surfing. Uh, There's a bunch of great spots out here, from reef breaks to some beaches. It's incredible. Everything's videoed, and then we surf for a few hours, come back, and just break down the video after a surf, eat incredible food. It's about the most fun you can have for a week surfing. Um, Our next camp dates will be in June and July. And we'll be doing at least one Colin McPhillips camp in that mix. And Colin's going to be a guest on the show here shortly. So stay tuned for that. Let me give you guys a little bit of overview of what we're doing with the Paddlewoo podcast and the reason why we've started it, why I've started it. I'm an addict of the the sport of SUP. I love SUP surfing. I've been a surfer since I was 13 years old. And two years ago, I was injured surfing. Never thought I'd hop on a stand-up paddleboard actually pretty much hated them up until this point, got hurt, started doing some stand-up for rehab, and absolutely fell in love with the sport. And it's folks just like me who I hope that this podcast uh, reaches uh, and maybe maybe changes their mindset a little bit on the sport of stand-up paddle surfing. I think that stand-up paddle in general is going to differentiate between the sports. Right now you've got flat water and race and rivers um, and surfing. And each one of those sports, if you look at, you know, any sport kind of starts off as a big group and then it differentiates into the factions of the sport and high performance into paddle surfing needs a voice. And our goal is to get the folks leading the charge for the differentiation of the sport, leading the progression of the sport um, on the podcast and talk to them and figure out where they think it's headed. And uh, I'm excited to do that. Today's guest, Pat Rawson shapes Mo Freitas' surfboards, and if you guys are a fan of the stand-up world tour, or you guys check out the videos online, Mo is about the most progressive guy out there right now. You've got Mo and Kai, Zane, uh, there's a bunch of them, Sean, but Mo's turning, most, most big full-rail cutbacks, kind of leading the charge and bridging that gap between high-performance shortboard surfing and paddle surfing. One thing I don't like about paddle surfing is when folks rely on the paddle too much, just pull their way through turns and don't really use the board. Um, and you see that on a lot of folks that are using kind of that windsurfer type board, uh, wider boards, kind of pulled in tails. You really lose that rail game. Uh, and Pat Rawson is the guy bringing rail game to stand up paddle surfing. And so I was really excited to sit down with him and go over what he sees the future of, of sup design is and his thoughts on Mo Mo's career. So Pat, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate you being a part of the show. Please start off with giving the Paddleboo audience an overview of your role in surfboard shaping and Hawaii, who you've worked with, and then how you came to shape your first stand-up paddleboard. 
Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I had a chance uh, to go over some ideas and stuff, and so I'll try to get through some of those things as we go. But as far as who I am, um, I started shaping back in 1966. Um, I'm 61 years old now, so I'm an, an older guy. I'm kind of like the youngest of the old guys and probably one of the older of the newer guys. And um, it's a nice place to be because I get from both. I'm able to do both styles pretty well. Um, but back in those days, I mean, we were tearing down longboards and reshaping them, and that was just something that um, I always worked with my hands and enjoyed designing, and, you know, I, I really had a great time with that. And, of course, that evolved into working for a bunch of companies in California through high school years. And then finally, you know, moving to Hawaii to go to school in the early 70s, um, you know, I was in a great position to be able to, you know, work with, other shapers. I actually had a job. My job wasn't shaping originally here. That was pretty full, but right around the lightning bolt era when that first came into play, um, I did pin lines and glossing, which was basically all the designs that went on these color boards. I mean, the boards in that era, people order them all the time from me now. They're just beautiful. They were hot rods. And every one of those designs had to be taped off and painted colored resin and my wife will she'll she'll laugh, but she used to come and watch me work. I worked at night when it was you know quieter and stuff. And uh, anyway, it gave me a really good launch into some of the other shapers who at the time were real, you know, influential, very iconic, like Dick Brewer and Jerry Lopez and Reno Abelaire, people that I really looked up to and uh, was able to work with. And normally, if you were a shaper and said, "Hey, I want to help," you know, you make boards or I want to learn from you, they just laugh at you, especially coming from somewhere else, you know, not being born and raised here in Hawaii. So anyway, that gave me a really great start. And uh, of course, I kept shaping. Um, I had built about 5,000 boards roughly in California before I moved to Hawaii. And, uh, you know, as things evolved, I was shaping much more than glossing. And when we started Locomotion back in 1977, 78, um, it just took off. I mean, we had Mark and Buttons, um, who Buttons did so much for my, my business. I mean, he was that's Mark Richards too, right? No, Mark uh, was Mark Lydell. They were kind of like the okay. the Bobsy twins back here in Honolulu surf scene. So um, Mark Richards was more around 1984. But um, anyway, that gave me a great start. I mean, I was able to really work with the best guys in Hawaii. And, you know, we had basically Japan kind of came into that uh, same time period. We were actually selling boards to Japan. And that income really fueled our R&D section. And uh, I mean, I virtually had you know, whatever I wanted to build for just about anybody out there. Um, and, of course, we went through that, went through the thruster, and, you know, I got a lot of credit on the North Shore for building boards that actually worked in bigger ways because there was a problem with taking a single fin design and putting three fins on it. And uh, without getting too elaborate, I, thanks to Clark Moam and some of the other people that really supported me, um, I got a lot of credit for that. And that kind of worked into, you know, working with Mark Richards. He'd always liked the way my boards look, and he and I were friends even at that time. And, I made him a four fin back in 84. That was like a really new design that I've been building ever since then. But um, having Mark getting boards and stuff and riding and, you know, he won the Billabong Pro and a whole bunch of contests riding my boards. It just brought other people like Tom Kern and Tom Carroll. Tom Carroll, notably, I mean, we've had a great relationship since 1985. And, you know, he was always the surfer surfer. People would just get out of the water because his technique and who he was, his boards were really actually a lot different than what most people are riding. They're much narrower and thinner and they're very racy. And so we, uh, 
he actually more than myself, we kind of changed a lot, especially out at Pipeline. There was a lot of things that happened from 85 to 87. And uh, consequently, I just ended up with probably three quarters of the top 16 guys riding my boards for close to five years, which was great. I mean, it's just every shaper has his chance, and that was my biggest time uh, to not only get better shape but also the marketing and you know give you kind of that little bit of iconic type of background and reputation so you know those people I mean I could I can go up especially in the mid uh, 80s to the mid 19 probably 1990s I'd say you know guys like Tom and both Toms actually the whole brothers um, you know all those guys in the top 16 guys like Bobby Owens and John Dom I mean we really covered a lot of ground it was a very very good time period and you know, Japan was just booming, and I was really in a good position with that. That's how I was able to buy my house and stuff on the North Shore. So getting back to the thing, I mean, I've been lucky to have all this experience. You know, it's going to be 50 years next year, and, um, you know, here comes Mo. You know, basically, we're talking about SUPs now. So, yeah. so my biggest thing was I had never made them. I wasn't against did you? Did you shape your first stand-up for Mo? My first stand-up I ever shaped was for Mo. I mean, I had Focus <laughs> SUP Hawaii. They approached me uh, in late 2012 to build some boards for Mo because they had signed them on and they were looking around. One of the partners knew me well and just thought that, wow, get Pat. He'd be really good. So long story short on that is that we took a board that he already had that he, he seemed to like and I just kind of just do general small tweaks in my shaping from a we don't do big huge changes we really try to keep the thing within a range so that we know exactly what changes do what to the board because if you're always changing from one crazy design to the next you're just chasing your tail it's really hard are you using a machine at this point yeah with the stand-ups i mean i'll be the first guy to admit i know guys um, and i'll mention a guy just because i respect him so much and he's a good friend of mine steve Bainey. And Dana Point, uh, Infinity Surfboards, he's a monster. He hot wires all his templates and he can literally shape and just start to finish maybe in an hour to an hour and a half, you know, a 10 foot, maybe open ocean type board. I mean, he is just amazing. I'm not like that. I wish I was, but I could do it. Uh, but because I work at home and I work out of my garage, I have a really neat but small shop. And so I have all my boards cut by Eric Arcal. We have a really sophisticated shaping machine and he had bought it really literally about three or four months and had it installed before the mo boards came up so that's how we do it we like cutting them on the machine and it's very very accurate and it gives us a chance to make those small little design changes that we want to do you know how do, how do you receive your feedback from mo he you, you shape him the new board he goes out and he tries it you do a lot of video sessions and compare the the new board versus the old board well, we always compare the boards, and, and you know, Mo's a pretty deep thinker. He's one of those, uh, he's young. I mean, he's going to be 18 in middle of summer, right? So he's really growing right now. But one thing I've liked, even since when he was 16 on that first board and the second board and third, is he's very concise about what he wants the board to change to. He doesn't try to tell me what to change. And that usually, if you're working with a guy that's been around for a while, I think a lot of customers try to over-egg the omelet and, oh, pull the tail into this dimension. And I mean, I understand all that, and that's part of the job. But one thing I think reasonably most been, like, super, super easy to work with. And, you know, like Buttons Kilakalani, I mean, he, he was 
one of those, sh you know, you could just build him anything and he'd go out and make the board look like it was phenomenal. This is back in 1976, you know, and, and that really helped me. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't write it, I mean, he, if he doesn't stay on the board because it's too small or it's just not doing what we thought, you know, then we, we weed it out. We try to get to the next series of problems. But Moe is incredibly easy to work with on that level. Um, he's also a really loyal person. I think what's nice about Mo is that he he sticks with his people. He's very family oriented. He's got a lot of family support with his dad Tony and his mom and his younger brother. And I just think going into eighteen, he's just coming into his age. You know, I mean, Kai Lenny's done so much for the sport. He's an older guy, and he's really managed to do it well in a lot of areas, surfing and kiteboarding. And I have a lot of respect for Kai. Um, and I think Mo basically is falling in those same footsteps, um, but he's he's the guy that's probably going to change things to the next level. That's my gut feeling. I agree with you there. I think that he's doing things on a stand-up that uh, up until recently no one thought were possible. Full rail, full rail turns, surfing with power, really surfing on a stand-up. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show was to talk about what you're seeing in boards that's allowing him to do that. Because I think that probably, I don't know, 30, 30% of uh, performance is coming directly from the board. There's a big gap between what people are riding. Um, I don't know if you can talk about that, how you're seeing boards differently than other folks are seeing boards from more like the production model boards, but there's something that you're doing differently that is allowing a different way of surfing on a stand-up. Well, I think some of it's just listening to Mo and his dad. You know, I don't, I have stand-up, I really think for exercise for me, I have a, a really stiff right hip from an operation, so it is actually kind of painful, especially, you know, if you fall down or whatever, I mean, it's kind of like I just get out there in a big cruiser uh, and get around, but I think what's going on is that really the board designs are way more evolved than the general public is. Now, Mo is one guy out of, let's just say, 50,000 people that can ride a board that's 7'2 by 23 and a half, just about four inches. Now, we thickened them up a lot since we first started. How many liters would that be? Um, more like 70 for small boards. It just said 70 CL just seems like that's the sweet spot. I mean, he still has to work, but he's such a mosquito. I mean, if you watch him in videos, and I do like the videos, and I love Tony sends us a lot of stuff. We can take a look at what he did and you know, Moe's also just an incredibly good paddler, so he does real well on racing. Um, he has both going for him. There's some people that just do waves and some people that just do race, and he's just one of those guys that can, like Kai, that can go back and forth. Um, but I know 70 seemed to be the sweet spot for him. And um, and how much does he weigh? Moe is about 175 now. Um, I'm, I imagine he's going to get taller and heavier. He's just... He seems to be thick. Um, I, every time I see him, he seems like, because we get together about once a month when he's here. He's actually gone for a couple months right now traveling, but um, we try to get together. I just made him a longboard because he loves he loves surfing. He's a good surfer. He actually rides hammerheads and some pretty exotic big wave spots that most, most guys that live on the North Shore would never touch. So he's actually an incredibly good big wave rider. And... Uh, so, you know, I think the complications with Mo is that he's so evolved. <laughs> what do you do for the general public? You know, and the general public is, like I said, they're, they're slowly, people are realizing, wow, this guy can do it. And they'll, they'll let themselves come back to, like, well, I'll try this. You know, and, and when you have production boards, it's kind of nice because 
lot of the dealers that we work with at Focus, you can go and demo a board and try it and see like if it's just going to be a nightmare to paddle or, you know, it's pretty hard. Um, and then I do a lot of custom boards in between. These are just boards that I do with my own business and through Focus that, you know, guys that are in between models, it, they can't really ride the 710, but the 8.4 feels like too much. So it's kind of nice to um, have that type of thing. But I think as the consciousness of our public, the people out there that want to ride waves, because it's a small, small niche. And I think that, you know, the guys that are making a lot of boards and selling and making good money in Basically, they have good flat water boards, they have a good distribution, they have reasonably good quality offshore, and that formula works. And that generally is probably like the, some of the windsurfing guys that evolved into kiteboarding and then went into SUP, and they're all doing a great job. I mean, we're just a SUP company, we started as a SUP company, and uh, that's all we're trying to do is just that. And it's smaller, it's cleaner. Um, we have our trade show in September that we do, all of us together, and it's kind of like a family thing, and it gives me a chance to meet people face-to-face -face, because a lot of them will show up if they know I'm there, at least on the East Coast. And, you know, they're always asking the same questions. Well, how short can I go? And I think the mind's the limit, you know. I mean, Mo is, like I said, he's so rare that you can't just go, well, I'm, I weigh 175. I'll just order a 7.2, you know. It's like probably that person should be riding like a 7.8, you know, and maybe have 85 cubic liters, something in that range, for, and that's pretty advanced even on itself. And the way I shape... You and Mo are doing a production board, aren't you? What are the dimensions on that going to be? Um, well, what we try to do is take his personal board that he loves, the 7.2, and a half by, let's just call it four glass, and what we did is we expanded it. Um, we're actually working on the prototypes. We'll have them at the trade show in September, but um, A2 being the largest, um, that one will be about 100 and then the 7, 8, I should have written this down I didn't actually write it down but it would be around 82 to 85 um, no actually I, I take that back, it was 107 and the other one was 109 I think it was So um, there's enough volume for a general public guy to get on, on especially on the A2 mm -hmm. but that was what we wanted to do, is to try to recreate everything, the color schemes. Um, and we're going to do some small ones, too, just limited amounts for, like, small. Like, there's a lot of kids starting. Yeah. And, you know, Mo is big with the young guys. He does really good with Instagram and Facebook. He's got a huge following. And I think he's, he's kind of ushering in that new era. And that's kind of what I meant. I mean, each guy, um, we talked a while back ago about iconic people. And I think what what an iconic person is, is somebody that's not just really interesting and he's handsome or she's handsome, whatever. It's people that affect other people's consciousness and change more or less, in our case, the way people perceive wave riding and the equipment that they need to do it, you know, and it's, it's kind of a, a nice position to be in right now because, you know, he's been riding and he's doing really well on my boards and we're just trying to evolve his boards around, you know, as he grows and as his needs, he'll start telling me, you know, I wish I could get further up to the top of the wave and have it release better off the top. And his production models reflect that. We actually put a wing uh, 10 inches up from the tail because we wanted to not only increase the bite of the board, but actually help the board roll. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with some of these wave riding boards I see from some of the manufacturers. They, they surf really flat. And then what happens is they put tail rocker and that kind of frees it up, but it's just... I don't want to say it's low performance, but they, they tend to surf flat, and then they fit the wave when the rider gets back on the tail. Whereas if you look at Mo, 
he kind of uses his whole board. I mean, his his bottom turns, he's he's getting it pretty laid out on the rail, and that comes from having a real uh, kind of a constant curve rocker and different contours in the bottom and stuff. I think that that really does influence the way the boards ride, and I've had enough people come back to me and go, wow, I can't believe how different this board is. I love it. I'm just having so much fun, and you know, all our business and my business anyway, and my surfboard business is just word of mouth. I don't do any advertising. I usually have a pretty good line, even in the slow months of people want to get, they know I'll work with them, you know. And I think coming back tomorrow, what we wanted to do is produce, you know, a production line that reflected what we're currently working on and, and some new technology stuff that kind of makes the board more like a hand lamb ride. Hand lamb boards laminated by a squeegee the old way. They tend to, in my opinion anyway, they tend to ride better. They flex a little more. They're not as tight, and they're not as strong. But, you know, all the boards that Mo rides are, you know, they're hand limbs. And, of course, the production boards we do, we have different technologies. One that we're working on, it actually has more flex. It's almost halfway between a, a skin board, which you would see maybe from Thailand or China. And they're durable, and they're painted, and, you know, there's, there's definitely a market for that type of board. But I'm, I'm seeing the consciousness change, especially the wave riding, not so much in the other stuff. But people want boards that actually surf different. When they jump on them, they just go, oh, my God, this is amazing. And some of that comes from the weight as well. So, you know, the production boards that we're doing with Mo, they're going to be on the lighter side, probably about 10%, 15% lighter than the other boards we have uh, in production. Are you going to be able to get them under 10 pounds? No, the skin boards, you'll never get them under 10 pounds. I mean, what we do with most boards, his, his last one I made him ended up weighing about nine and three quarters, something in there. Um, and that's really a big part of it, too. I mean, when you get a board that light, even though it's got volume like that, it just reacts quicker, you know. And most of the weight, since we use a real lightweight foam, most of the weight is actually on the skin. So it's almost like a hollow board. Um, and it's a little more buoyant and, you know, Different things like having the edges that we put in. I actually put a tucked edge all around the board, a light one. And then in the tail, we have a pretty pronounced tucked edge, the last 20, let's just say last two feet of the board. And I think that's really a big part of it. You get the board over on a rail, and it hits that edge, and it just takes off as a quad. All my stuff that I've made with Mo, we, we do make three-fin boards. I do custom all the time with three fins. But I think for how wide the boards are, it's nice to have two fins on each rail and you know it just makes the whole the whole board really efficient and it's surfing from one side to the next instead of surfing flat and then step back on the tail rocker and it lifts the nose up and it goes it's it's more seamless for sure yep and are you setting them up as five fins we on the custom boards we do them as five fins i think as the production boards go um we're originally going to do them as quads and of course you know we can always add a fifth box i find that I tell people, I go, you know, we'll put that, that extra set of fins there for you so you can be thruster or quad, but in the end of the day, you're going to end up riding a quad. And I'd say that's like 95% of the people go, yeah, I wish I, I actually don't, I don't, I've never even put in the center fin. I like it so much. So I think in my perspective, trying to make surfboards that you can paddle, that's really, truly what I'm all about. I'm just a surfboard shaper. I'm not a SUP, you know, racing board designer, flat water designer. We, we do have boards that are big. For bigger guys that you can flat water that I've done uh, in our production boards but I think what's going on is that people want this is like the cutting edge Lamborghini type side of it all you know and, and there's a, a nice market it's not a huge market but 
the guys that actually know what's going on and get a chance to surf with Mo, they're just that's they're the ones that email me and just go, hey, how do I get one of these boards? Can I be an ambassador? Can I do this? And you know, we're just I'm just a small business, so I, I mean, I do have team prices for the guys that are really good, but that's how I've been able to evolve my personal business and and work within um, you know focuses program as well. We we overlap really nicely together, and you know, Mo's the key figure in all that. Right. What do you think about, I mean, you're about as entrenched in the surf scene as anyone could possibly be. What do you think about the the sport of stand-up surfing overall? Is it welcome in the lineup in Hawaii? Um, do you like the sport? Well, I think I'm kind of more, <laughs> it's funny to say this because I was always a young guy with the, my older friends, but I'm kind of like more or less one of the elders in the surfboard building group here, especially here on the North Shore. It's a tight community and we all try to get along, and a lot of my business is off-island, so I'm not, quote-unquote, stealing work from my other friends, shapers, and stuff. I mean, people come to me, and that's they want me, and that's fine, but I don't go out there and try to, to grab that. Um, I think from my perspective, watching, kind of watching how it came in, I think that's another thing that Mo did really nicely for Hawaii and the North Shore, at least, is uh, in the beginning, there was just guys getting these huge boards and going out into the lineup. And this has happened in California and the East Coast and Japan, uh, Australia. You know, they get out there and hog a bunch of waves. Um, so initially, I think SUP was really looked down on by the general surfing community. Like, oh, these guys are kooks. They can't surf. They couldn't get waves anyway. Now they're coming out and they're hogging waves because they got this big board with a paddle. And so it took a couple years. And I think Mo really brought credibility to not only just regular surf, but large wave riding at crowded spots. You know, I mean, he's one of the few guys that can totally rip pipeline. You know, and he's respected out there. He can, <clears throat> he can go out on a ten foot day and he'll get waves and he'll get waves with people going, "Go Mo." I mean, that's a huge accomplishment at 17 years old. So that tends to kind of like where I'm coming from, I think that the sport is growing. I think a lot of younger guys are embracing it. It's a great way to train for surfing. Um, it's just an unbelievable sport as far as like exercising your core muscles and stuff. And so, you know, being in Hawaii, and most of us are pretty health conscious. We all try to, I swim a lot. And um, I know from just supping, it really was good for my back. It's just, I just have to watch my hip. But I feel like in general, um, the general public of surfing is starting to respect more or less what sup is, especially in wave riding. You know, it's changed, it's changed a lot in the last 18 months. Well, I think that anything that disrupts the power balance in the lineup, because surfers spend a lot of time to get their place in the pecking order, anything that upsets that, is going to upset surfers and stand-up is is probably the most visible medium to do that in a large manner and that's why it's hated by the surfing public but then if you look at what someone like mo is doing or kai or zane or anyone it's much harder than surfing and so there's a disconnect right now with surfers that just don't understand how technically difficult stand-up paddling a board that's you know the same volume to kilograms that you weigh basically the same weight ratio is and uh, so whenever I get a hard time, I just let whoever's, whoever's given it to me try to stand on my board, and <laughs> they've, no one's been able to yet. Good and idea, it, bro. It, it pretty much shuts them up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't, yeah. I mean, it's funny how perception is, because I can remember just like the three fins. This is a great analogy of that, and we'll get back to your question, but it's like 
when the three fin board came in, all the mainstay guys were going, This isn't gonna work in Hawaii. This you know, there's just no way. I mean I could see riding a six two in Huntington, but you know, to ride a ten foot wave in Hawaii and I tried to, I mean, I've always listened to my riders first. I'm not a phenomenal surfer. I'm a very capable guy. I surf Waimea all the way down to Chun's Reef in the summer. But I've always felt that the team rider was the guy you need to pay attention to because they're the ones that change things, you know. And it took, it took about one or two solid winners. And I, had to, I made blanks for Clark Foam. We actually had to redesign the blanks because they were wrong to make, you know, thrusters on, a, say, an eight-foot gun for Sunset. Um, and the public consciousness did change. All of a sudden, it was like they couldn't sell single fins. People had them. I mean, that was before people collected them. I mean, they just sat there, and people tried to put two boxes on the rail so they could try to sell the board. And I mean, it was a big time change, you know. And so I think coming to, like, the way people are now, there's a lot of perception change on, on just what is up, you know. And when you see Kai or when you see Mo. On a video, I mean, I've I've sent it to people that hate sup riders. I won't mention their names, so they'll be pissed at me. But they're like, they're blown away, going, "I can't believe these guys are doing this." You know, I mean, Kai sponsored by Hurley. That's that's huge. You know, I mean, I do a lot of kite boards and I do a lot of tow boards, and they're both very small industries. I mean, sup is a lot bigger industry overall, but if you take the wave riding side, it's a tiny little industry, and so I think. Through those bigger companies that are starting to see the value, and you know, most he works with Body Glove. They're a great company for him. I mean, they they basically sell and distribute all the things that Mo's all about, you know. And and uh, we really like that company. They're they've been a good sponsor for him. And I think at those that that's what's going to increase the consciousness. And you know, most the social media. I mean, Mo's really good on Facebook and Instagram, and he gets out there. Like I said, he's got a great little following of young guys that are probably anywhere between 12 and 20 years old that they want to be Mo. You know, and it's like, that's why we did the model and why we're going to do some small ones too, because there's going to be people out there who want exactly like what he rides. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that you do tow boards and I know that you've made some boards for Mo to surf and bigger surf. What do you think um, the advantages, if there are any of, of surfing big waves with a stand up with a paddle in your hand? Well, I think, Anytime you got a paddle and you've got the leverage that you have, I mean, not only the fact that you're standing, you can see the wave. I mean, that was one of most things. I remember one of his interviews, he just said, Yeah, I just love being able to stand on a board and I can see the wave coming and set it up. It's just, I really enjoy that. But, you know, I think that basically a sup could probably catch anything. You know, I mean, towing was it, it was designed in Maui more or less to just be able to pull people and to waves out of jaws that they really didn't think they could paddle in. It's just a really fast wave. It jacks up. There's wind. Um, and I remember people talking five years ago about making sup guns. And I wasn't involved at the time, but I'd be asked. And I'd say, yeah, I'm sure you can. Just make a big wave gun and just increase the cubic volume. Don't like try to make it like a windsurfer and pull a tail in because they're just going to fly out of the water. And we actually did build two boards this season. It was kind of nice. Um, Focus wanted to do it, and they're basically, they weren't epoxies. They were just polyurethane, um, just big wave gun blanks that I had designed for U.S. blanks. And 10.6, um, I think the, the wider one was 23, and the narrow one was 22, and about four inches thick. So they had enough, for Mo anyway, they had enough cubic volume. And 
I was really worried that he was just going to fly over to Jaws. We had a couple, this is when the surf was pumping. We had some really good surf um, January, December. I mean, we had, it was great. And then it kind of shut down in March. It was just have kind of a lackluster spring so far. But he got a, a really great day, probably 20 foot bigger on the sets, just out at a local break um, and got a chance to get out there and got tons of pictures. They looked like they worked really good. He just looked like, if you didn't see the pow- you didn't see the powder, you'd just think it's somebody just ripping on a gun. Didn't look like he was riding a sup at all. And of course, all his boards sort of have, you know, that thing of getting it up on a rail and stuff. So it was exciting. I mean, I was super stoked we got to build him. And um, yeah, I'm hoping next year we get a good Jaws season so he can get out there because he's definitely, along with Kai, he'll be right next to him and they'll, they'll push that bar up, you know. 25-foot Jaws is amazing. It's terrifying. <laughs> My son was really good there with Makua. They were partners and stuff, and I used to worry so much about Ryan, my son. And he's just, you know, you got to have the right head. You're just born with the right head to deal with that life or death and, mm-hmm. you know, practice and having the discipline to practice. And Your son won, was it Wave of the Winter that your son won? Well, actually, it was Makua, but they, they won as a team. As and a team, yeah. Makua is one of his, his like, I mean, they grew up together, literally, they just lived down the street from us, so Makua always, a couple of years younger, always looked up to Ryan, so they were like the perfect partnership, and 2003, they won the Billabong Award out at Jaws, which was great, and, you know, Ryan got to enjoy that and stuff, and that, you know, he's he's a single parent now, he's raising his, his kids and stuff, so he's not doing that anymore, but he's, he's still serious, man, when Santa Ana River Jetty gets good in the summertime, he'll get out there and get a couple great waves, and, you know, He's just raising his kids. But Makua, on the other side, he's doing it unreal. I'm so proud of him. He just won the Big Wave Award. And, you know, those are the kind of iconic type things I think we look at that, you know, Makua worked really hard to get where he did. I mean, it wasn't given to him at all. He, you know, he really put a lot of energy in and trained and worked on his boards and his, his whole approach, you know. So I'm, I'm super proud of him. And I think it's going to be the same with kind of along the lines with Kai and, and with um, with Mo, you know. And it doesn't have to be Jaws. It's just one of those ways when it's good. It's it's photogenic and it's pretty hard to ride. I mean, I've seen a couple waves that Kai's ridden and then it looks pretty balls out on a stand-up. But I think the closer the boards get to just being regular Jaws guns, there's enough cubic volume to paddle them if you're like Mo. I mean, a regular guy probably would have to have a wider board, but... At 23, that's that's actually a fairly narrow board for out there. Well, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I heard that Kai paddles and stand-up paddles the same board at Jaws. Yeah, and that's actually, um, I know that for a fact, and that's actually um, one of the things that Moet brought up, and I said, yeah, I wouldn't see that you'd have to make anything different. 11-inch tails. Um, I made them the narrower ones, so that could be just a regular surfboard, more or less, and then the 23 would be more or less if he was going to grab a paddle, but... He said they worked equally well, and he kind of, you know, he likes narrow. I mean, for him, the closer it is to just a regular board, but he can still paddle it, that's the best. So then it comes down to, you know, matching volumes and where to put the volumes. That's like, that's where patterns come in. I know you and I talked about patterns, and patterns, it's in everything. It's in waves, it's in nature, it's in music, it's in the financial markets and I've always that was always my strength is I was really good at recognizing patterns what was the medium in the middle of all these things and you find that medium and it's generally pretty spot on it's the common consensus whatever and 
I know in making surfboards, it really helps me to do that, to kind of find something in the middle that really works good for everybody. That's why I don't have to have like 40 models. I just have in my surfboards probably 10 or 11 good models, which encompass, you know, guns all the way down to like fishes and all kinds of trippy little boards. But I try to keep it in a category. And I think when you start recognizing patterns, you can weed out a lot of the bullshit um, that, that sidetrack designers and it can just it could sidetrack surfers as well um so that's what's been great about moa's we haven't had to redesign the wheel every time we do a board we basically just been doing refinements in how thick the board is and um little ones as far as the outlines and stuff but generally speaking the boards haven't changed that much we haven't had to change them i mean did you base your first template um for mo off of a board that you had done before maybe a big wave board or did you just kind of well, the first, board, the, the first board that he had was patterned off of, you know, lost his, um, my California, basically USA distributor. I haven't been going there recently, but I was going once a month and shaping orders and stuff. And it was my brand that they would basically sell for me. And Matt, the owner of Lost, uh, had a ride. I thought it was really one of his best designs ever called the Rocket, mm-hmm. which was sort of has that kind of tail that we put on Mo. It looks like Felix the Cat upside down or something, you know. Um, and so we thought, from looking at that board, I said, this is really a nice combination because you got some width back there, but you soften up the points by adding that kind of rounded pin. So it's like mm-hmm. a swallowtail with a rounded pin added in. And I almost, I'd say 95% of the boards I've done, uh, or 90%, have been that. And then we do the round pins for the guns and the more pipeline kind of boards. Mo has, we do have another design that's just a round pin straight that works really good. Surf gets 8 to 10 feet. But, yeah, that was really from the rocket. That comes back to probably 2009, I think, the rocket came in, uh, based around Shane Beshin and yep. Noah Udrow. And so it was cool. I mean, it was just kind of looks – you look at them, and they just look right when you see the outline and stuff. They look really nice. I would guess, though, that your rocker is very different from the rocket, which is pretty flat and then a ton of tail rocker with a lot of concave, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, the concaves for me, I, I do double concaves, um, mm-hmm. last third of the board. And in my opinion, with the edge and stuff, it kind of is like probably shifting gears in a Porsche or something when you're going from rail to rail. My boards are meant to ride and paddle, even paddling. Um, mm-hmm. If you watch people paddle, there's guys that just paddle flat and they're just going and going. And then if you watch Mo, he's actually kind of surfing his board as he's paddling and basically going from rail to rail. And um, the double concaves work really good, and my rocker is more of a blended rocker. If you look at it from the side, there's no high kick the last two feet of the board. Um, me personally, I, I just feel that's really um, not as performance as having a rocker that you, you use less, so it's way faster, but it's so efficient that it actually ends up being looser. And that's what guys just they keep coming back because they go, I can't believe how fast and loose my board is. Mm-hmm. Is, is shaping an art or a science? <laughs> well, I think it's both. Um, I guess it depends if you are an art appreciator, meaning like, I mean, I have friends that make the most beautiful surfboards I've ever seen out of wood and wood inlays, and a lot of them are lawn boards, and some are gun shapers, and um, I absolutely think there's a market for that. Um, I call it the hot rod market, but I have a couple of my wealthier clients, they love getting stuff that I made before, like we have a Tom Carroll replica board, but I, I sell one a month, and they're pretty expensive. You know, which I pay Tom a royalty and stuff. And I mean, people are out there. The the art beholders are out there. But I think in SUP, especially like in the Mo world, it's not about art. It's really about function. 
the science probably is knowing your numbers and having the ability to control your numbers, knowing your programs. I used two platforms to design. To design with, I use uh, an older platform. Um, and I actually have to convert that over to the new platform that'll cut um, you know, my boards on the bigger machines and stuff, which is called Shape 3D. And I'm not that good on Shape 3D, but you don't have to be. Once you get a good file, you can upsize it and downsize it. You don't have to do too many tweaks. Then you just concentrate mostly on the, how thick the rail is for that guy and looking at the cubic volume. So it simplifies. It's hard to get those files, but then once you've got them, you know, they kind of stay in your memory banks for a long time. They can, you, know, you can always go back to it, and it's going to be a good board. Do you, I know you're a musician. You play piano. Do you pull a lot of that into shaping? Well, I know that there's one side of me. I love people. I mean, I really enjoy, um, I like working with my customers. I mean, we'll do Skype, we'll do phone call. Most of it's internet. And I think one of the greatest joys is I've evolved to be one of those quote unquote elders that still make a lot of boards is that um, back in the day, I had no time for anybody. I mean, I basically, I machined my own blanks. I designed my own shaping machine that could you know, it basically profiled the boards because we didn't have them. I just figured out how to do it and I made it. And I was working eight hours a day and had, you know, three young kids. And I mean, I had it all going on. And um, so I didn't have time to really like, oh, are you going, how much time do you need? I, I don't know if I can talk to you now. I mean, I got these four boards I got to finish before six o'clock. You know, it's just, it's a lot harder. And I'm watching a couple people now go through that. And I was lucky. My wife's super, super solid, and she's a phenomenal mom. So, you know, all three of my kids turned out good. And, um, but I do think that there's a point um, where you, when you're building, you kind of have to just know what you want to build, you know. And what, what do you want out of your market? What do you want out of your, in my case, being a shaper? I don't want to have to work eight hours a day. I have other things I do. And I still want that little feed from my customers. And it's the same in my music. I, I enjoy working and playing in front of people at basically the different bands I play with. There's probably 10 of them. I'm a fill-in musician, meaning I'm on call. I don't like being in a band. I have to, oh, I'm going to have to do this. I can say no if I'm busy, you know. And what's great is all those bands have following, so I run into people that I'd probably never see if I wasn't playing music. And so I really, I enjoy that interaction. And my surfboard business, it really gives me a chance to do that, whether I be at a trade show and it's packed with people or, you know, just people calling or, or emailing going, yeah, I want to get an 8.6 like what you would make more, but just blow it up and can you help me a little bit? And it's been fun. I really enjoy that. Right on. Do you think that surfers know what they want in a board? Do you think that the majority of surfers who come in are telling you to thin out the rails or pull in the tail have any idea what they actually need to make them surf better? Well, you always have these guys <laughs> that like to be right, you know, and I, I mean, I have a saying with people, uh, like that. I mean, it's good. It's good to be one of those persons and do your homework and read a lot and stuff. And I think in general, most, most of my customers have a good idea of what they want, but they're willing to let me drive the car. You know, they might say something like, well, I'm going to suggest extra tail rocker, but what do you think I want the board to be a little looser than my last board? And I might just move the fins up instead of putting more tail rocker because I happen mm -hmm. to like the bottoms that we're using or seem to work out good and probably 95% of my customers, you know, the other guy just not being able to ride it because he ordered it too short, you know, those 5%. But um, I think what happens is um, customers kind of, they can, they can really help themselves if they do it that way and let the shaper help them. And a lot of times I'll get guys that are just rigid. It's got to be 27. 
it's got to be 7.6, but I need 90 cubic. And it's like, oh, man, you're not going to get it, man. You're going to have to go to 8.0 if you want 90. Oh, I want a 7.6. So you're kind of like, they, in their mind, that 90 is what they got to have, but they're not necessarily willing to let me bring that to them in a way that might be unreal. Because you don't know about a board until you ride it. That's one thing absolutely that I can say with 100% conviction is you can look at something and go, that'll never work. But I'll try it. And then they'll end up riding it and going, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, we went through that in surfing in the late 60s. I mean, we, we went from nine, six size boards that were nose riders. People would ride the nose. And we dropped it down like two or three feet in less than a year to two years' time. You know, it changed. And they couldn't sell those big boards. A lot of businesses went out of business because they got stuck with all this inventory and nobody wanted it, you know. And I think, you know, with SUP, we've already kind of gone through that. I think, like I said, Moe's ushering in an uh, era of, you know, guys riding under eight-foot size that are not phenomenal surfers, but they're good enough to get out. And, you know, we actually have one. Um, the boards that I do uh, with Focus are called the Raw Ones, which has got the rocket tail and stuff. And we actually have one called the... Impala SS, which has got a wider nose, but it's sexy. It's not a longboard nose. I, I personally, I don't like those at all. Maybe the square noses. I think you could do something. There's a few guys that are shaping those that look kind of cool. But and I would like do that. Tomos. For yeah, like Tomo's boards. Tomo's one of my friends, and um, I actually, when I was in Japan, I, I didn't go to this trade show, but I went to uh, 2014 in February, and I I brought the owner of Focus, Jacob. I said, look. This is what we need to push for Japan because you can't take boards over seven six on the bus or the train, and you know elevators. It's just a big deal. And you know we're looking at Japan. They always are a couple years behind us, but in the next two years, there's going to be a lot of guys riding waves on SUP out there. I believe it because Mo's been going there, and people were just standing on the beach. They couldn't believe he was paddling a board and surfing as he was surfing and being able to paddle. So it's pretty amazing. But you know, having you know, you can evolve the design so to you know get another extra ten cubic volume, you know, by actually widening the nose a little bit and kind of making like a hybrid look instead of because most boards have pretty fairly narrow noses, you know, fifteen inch nose on a twenty three, it looks narrow, you know, but if you make it a seventeen and three quarter inch nose or thereabouts, it starts kind of giving a little more of a platform up there, and it makes it easier. It they still surf good too. That's one of our probably our best-selling designs at Focus is our 8.8 that just kind of combines everything in one board. So it does really well in the Northeast and places that people have wetsuits and you know, all that cold water and stuff. So, um, you know, there's ways to evolve it to make it work so that the customer can actually get what he wants, but it's a compromise. And some guys, I, I usually just, I can tell if I'm not going to get anywhere with them, I'll just go, you know, I think you'd be better off going to this guy. He's really good at making these kinds of boards. And, you know, I, I don't mind that. I'd rather shift somebody off than to spend time arguing with them or him not feeling good about the board he's going to get. I mean, I have enough orders all the time that I don't have to, I don't have to grovel. You know what I mean? I just, they come to me and I try to treat them good. Yeah. So we're probably, what, two, two to three years into the sport of high-performance stand-up paddle surfing. How much farther do you think that board design has to go? Are we going to see a, a crave like, a craze like uh, shortboarding where smaller, wider, uh, like what Kelly's kind of ushered in with short boards, or you think it's going to go longer and, and narrower? That's interesting. I mean, that's a very, because it can go both ways. I think ideally we're on the, let's see if we can go shorter phase of it all. And obviously, um, if Kai's riding a 7.4, 
then you know that's a benchmarker of Mo's writing us. I've made board six ten for Mo, and we kind of came to the conclusion. Just he, he came to it, not me. I just listened to him. But I mean, it, sure, it wasn't that much better. It kind of didn't. You know, there's almost like a, a sweet spot, and I think for Mo, it tends to be between seven two and seven four. When you watch videos of him, you think his board is like a six six. You know, until he actually gets out of the water. I mean, that particular rocker. The way the contours is, it makes a board surf pretty short. You can get back on the tail and you can fit it in in a really hollow wave. And vice versa, you can drive the board forward in the tube and be pushing off your front foot. So it's, it's kind of one of those things that I think, to really do the question right, I mean, it depends what Mo and Kai are going to do right now. And probably Zane, too. Um, they're the ones leading the pack as far as, you know, because everybody's video conscious. They want to watch. They look them up and they... I mean, it drives what's going on, and um, I personally think that, you know, it'll go whatever way. Right now, Mo's not going shorter. We're just trying to make things that are quicker, and the technology of getting it glassed a little bit lighter so it lasts a little longer. I mean, there's a lot that goes into Mo's personal hand-laminated boards. I mean, we use 1.5 white-hot foam from U.S. Blanks. It's the best foam, I think, for anything. Um, it's a really super nice, it's a... a a foam that's really the density is really uniform, you know. Even though it's 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 done as a, a you know a slab, we cut it out and stuff. They have the best foam, and then we use S cloth top and bottom. So they're not cheap to make. I mean, customs are they they can be a little cheaper than a production board because you know they're they're built, and then we have to ship them wherever they got to be going. So that brings the price up. But um, just having the S cloth patches under the front and back foot, and having it around the fin box area and stuff, and having the right overlaps and stuff it makes a huge difference and you know we can get six ounce for Mo's I can't get them for boards that are 30 inches wide I mean you could but it's just be super super expensive but his boards are just basically surfboards so I mean we're able to get all the you know and he likes his carbon you know like that's another thing he puts carbon patches under his feet which I think is more looks but he also likes to have the the carbon strips down the center of the board and I definitely think that that helps the board stay together if you do both sides Gotcha. And, and what about, you talked a little bit there about technology as far as board um, construction goes. Where do you think that's headed? You, you mentioned earlier that you have something that you're working on. Um, anything you can elaborate on there, or where do you think it's well, headed? I think, I think we have a, a bunch of different styles. you got guys that make stand-ups. They're basically from scratch off of a slab. Um, and, you know, they're really nice boards, and then they're hand-laminated, and that's a stand-up. And that's could be like maybe known as maybe the more cheaper way to do it as long as you don't have to ship it. Um, what, what Mo and I are doing is that, but just taking it to like the nth degree so that all the components are really good and we can keep the weight for his personal boards under 10 pounds is always desirable. But, you know, for everybody else, production's stuff that's done offshore, I mean, there's some great companies out there. One of the companies I'm working with, um, I'm working with a different type of skin that's put on that actually will have compression strength so they don't dent up so much. That's one problem with the the actual um, strength of the customs. They hold up pretty good as far as braking or tensile strength, but they do dent, especially the 1.5s. And they just dent, and that's the way it is. You can put pads on them, and they don't dent as bad. But, <coughs> excuse me, that's one of the things that I think as we evolve, we'll get a, a board that's in the middle between a skin board, which could be like, let's use SurfTech. They make a lot of really nice boards, and 
they're generally for the general public and um, they're painted. They're real, you know, they got, some have wood inlays and stuff. And those are, are pretty rigid. And then there's the stuff I'm working on in the middle or maybe even more toward a hand lamp type feel. And I think that is going to be what's going to work really good for these. Because these are, we're selling Ferraris and Lamborghinis. We're not trying to sell, you know, um, Ford Focus or any of that thing. I mean, it's just, it's not what it's going to be. It's, it's more of a high-end market. It's more of a market where the riders already know what they're going to be buying. Um, and I think having that technology available for the general public is going to be great. Gotcha. Well, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, just that Mo's going to be 18 this summer. And like I said, he's been a great kid. We really like working with him and his family, his dad has had a lot to do. I mean, his dad really helps them. They travel together. I mean, I'm always getting either through Facebook or whatever, um, pictures, current pictures of what's going on. Um, and again, like I said, him and Kai, and like you said, maybe Zane, those guys are leading the way on this thing. And, And I do think the numbers will grow slowly all over. I mean, Brazil is really a, a country that really enjoys stand-up. Most of it's all flat water. People that just want to have the look and have the board strapped on their car. And, um, but there's really, really good wave riders that come from Brazil as well. You know, and um, I think Europe's changing as well. I really feel like Europe is embracing having a board more or less like what Mo rides. Japan, same thing. You know, we get a lot of custom orders from there, and plus our production boards go there. So all in all, I'm seeing an increase. Uh, it'll be a slow increase, though. I don't think it'll happen over one year's time. In America, it's pretty solid. California, people are riding pretty progressive boards. And as long as they're not getting shouted out of the water or arrested, you know, because I know there's some breaks there that you can, it's illegal to ride a stand-up, you know. And so those kind of things will have to evolve. But I think all in all, this is really a great time to be involved, especially with somebody like Mo and Focus, just to be able to make boards. It's kind of like, for me personally, it's like being starting locomotion all over again. I mean, it's just we're in the beginning phases of this whole new thing that makes people healthy and get out in the water and quit worrying. You know, I, I think I'm all about that. I think that's, I'm stoked I'm part of that, you know. That's one of the fun things about stand-up is that you don't have the same attitudes that you have in surfing and the entrenched um, ideologies. And so everyone who's a fan of stand-up, number one, it's pretty humbling to just go and paddle out a small board at a break. And when you're learning, it's terrible because you fall and everyone laughs at you. Uh, and so you have to get through that. And a lot of surfers can't swallow their pride there to just get through that portion, which takes, you know, six months of kind of everybody getting on you. Um, and then, uh, so, so, so the folks who do end up making it through that end up being pretty easygoing folks who just love a sport and they're into it for the sport because you're not into it because everyone thinks it's cool yet which is one of the things i really enjoy about it yeah well it's it's in a growing phase for sure and and i look at it two ways one is anything i don't care what sport it is whether it's just swimming it gets people out in the water i used to tell people i'm a real spiritual type person i'm not really very religious at all but I used to call it surf church because people go, they're uptight. You can see they drive up. They've been in traffic and stuff. And I used to watch all the time. I've always lived on the beach here on the North Shore. And, and they paddle out. And I've seen the same guy about an hour, hour and a half later. He comes in and he's, he's just like bliss. You know, even if he didn't surf good, it just being in the water, you're not worrying about things. You're not thinking the same things you're worrying about when you're sitting in your desk chair, you know, or driving a car or whatever. And, um, to me personally, I think that that 
that's one of the best things. Sup, if it brings the general public out, people that don't even surf, but they go out in their lake by their house, and it's just gonna it's gonna be a good thing for people in general. And I think it's one sport that if you take the whole range from the racing to the general public boards for all the way specialized to what I'm doing with Mo, I just think it's going to bring people's consciousness up. And I'm stoked I'm part of that. That's like one of the neatest things about the whole deal. Well, we're really stoked that you're part of that too. And you're ushering in a whole new level of performance to the sport. So thank you for, for spending your time doing it. Um, we really appreciate you being on the show. It'd be great to catch up with Mo one day too. And uh, thank you very much, Pat. Oh, thank you for having me.